What's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's podcast. Hope everybody had a great Memorial Day weekend and enjoyed some time with family and friends. Welcome to the show, Evan. Thank you very much. Good to see you, brother. Happy to be here. Yeah, yeah. We've been talking about doing this for a while. We have. So I guess it's time to do it. We're doing it right now. Right now. Right now. Right now. So, for those of you that don't know Evan, Evan came from the music industry, and we're going to dive into that a little bit, because both of us have some background in that. His is much more extensive than mine. I think that's kind of the first thing that you and I bonded over, though, was just like, our love for music and whatever we did in music was just like, it laid the foundation so well of our friendship that we have now. Oh, yeah, yeah. for sure. I mean, that was our first common ground of like, hey, uh, what's up, man? And, yeah. you know, like <laughs> exactly. getting, getting that instant chatting going there. So, yeah, man, why don't you tell about everybody a little bit about where you're from? And let's, let's just start there so everybody gets to know Evan a little bit. Let's do it. So I uh, was born in Austin, Texas at about two years old. My family moved out here uh, to be closer to my grandparents, graduated in 2010 from Plano Senior High School, did like one semester of college and got my first opportunity to tour with a local band, but they were opening for Third Eye Blind, so it was a big opportunity, and uh, man, I'll never forget my, my first day on tour, I walk right up to Third Eye Blind's tour manager. And I'm like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing, but anything you want to teach me, I'm here to learn. And it was like, so I was 19 at the time. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, we've had kids on the road before, you know. They just want to like <laughs> meet girls, party, do drugs, drink. But hey, I'll give you a shot. And if, if you're here for the right reasons, then let's do it. And uh, I, I showed him early on that I was there for the right reasons. I, I, was, I wasn't going to school because I had, I was thinking of touring as my school. I was there to learn. I yeah. wanted to succeed. And uh, man, that relationship just blossomed. And fast forward six years down the line, he was part of Diplo's management group. And he's the one that got me the gig with Diplo. So it's this lesson I've, I learned early on in life of you never know who you meet, where they'll go, and how that relationship can build over time. Yeah, absolutely. So how did you, you started off with a local band. Correct. How did you progress from meeting the local band, and what did you start out doing with them to transition to, hey, go on tour with us and help manage us, this kid that has no experience doing this? Literally, I had a little bit of money saved up. I think they paid me one fifty a week, this local band. And they said, if you just want to be an extra, extra, like an extra set of hands, help us unload the trailer, load it back up at the end of the night, sling some T-shirts for us. I was selling merch, straight, yeah, like straight up. But we all got to start somewhere, you know. Right. For me, I just saw it as the opportunity to get my foot in the door. Yeah, um, and get to hang out in bars and shit when you're 19. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Nobody checks your ID or anything. But uh, yeah, I was, I was there. To, to learn like I really yeah. wanted music to, to work out for me and um, it was it all started because of this guy Kyle with, with Third Eye Blind I mean he 
later on uh, after that tour was done because it was only a month, you know? So the cool thing is, like, you're out for a month, you're working your ass off, and, like, you're like, I, I'm living the life, right? Yeah. That month ends, and it's like this train where somebody just pulls an emergency brake, and it stops, and you're like, what, what the hell do I do now, you know? Yeah. And luckily for me, I got a call early on from Kyle, maybe a few months later, and he was like, hey, man, do you want to be an assistant for me on the road with Third Eye Blind? You'll help us book hotel, hotels, travel, all that stuff, and, you know, make sure the band has what they need. So he really connected me with a lot of people, but it was all because I, I was working hard that first tour, you know? Yeah. And we just developed such a good working relationship. That's awesome, man. Like, that's, that's the way it goes for a lot of people. Like, I happened to be working with a guy that was, like, the keyboardist for Deep Blue Something. Oh, yeah. And awesome. he was like, hey, do you want to come help us run lights and stuff? We're rehearsing in this dungeon warehouse right now. And their song was just like, you know, Breakfast at Tiffany's was just blowing Huge. up. Yeah. And unfortunately, I couldn't really take advantage of that because I was still in high school. Even though I had finished all my classes and everything, mm -hmm. I was just waiting to walk the stage. Well, right. my dad had had a heart attack when I was like 15 and they told him he wouldn't see both of his sons walk the stage. I'm the first to walk the stage. So, you know, my dad's like, no way in hell you're missing out on that opportunity for me. Like, I will disown you. Yeah. So, so he pushed you to go and do that. No, oh, he, he told me absolutely oh, oh, not. So you, he said, I'm not missing the opportunity to walk the stage. Yeah, he yeah. said, I'm not missing watching you, your grandparents, me. We're all watching you walk the stage. Right. Like, you're not going anywhere unless you want nothing to do with the family. Do you wonder what would have happened, though, if you had taken that? Or did, I mean, like, yes I and right no, because, I mean, I was so not prepared for that. Like, mm -hmm. I just, I loved music. I mean, I was working at Sears in the electronics department selling Bose stereo equipment and stuff. Because, right. you know, like, Bose was the hottest thing then. Yeah. And, you know, trying to do all that and had a passion for music. And I had started taking guitar lessons again and, you know, was really just playing around this stuff. I knew I didn't want to go to college and the Navy didn't work out for me. So, man, my then the next opportunity was my guitar teacher was like, hey, I have this local band. Well, we need somebody to help with, you know, unloading, loading, yeah. you know, all the typical shit where you get your foot in the door. Yeah. And, oh, by the way, we bought all this lights and sound stuff, like for, you know, a garage band, basically, yeah. you know. But, like, can you make the show look cool? And I'm like... I mean, I'll try. Like, you know, they're like, cool, come to practice and let's play around with all this stuff and figure it out and we'll go from there. Cool. Which then turned into like, you know, me getting a chance to play on stage because my guitar teacher, like, you know, I practiced certain songs for a long time. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, they waited. And I'm so glad they did it this way because I don't know how I would have reacted if I would like been prepared for it. But literally... He asked me to, like, leave my guitar with him for something. He was going to, like... This do, was your guitar teacher. Yeah, he yeah. was like, I'm going to do something. I'm going I'm to fix some stuff up for you, make this a little bit easier for you, you know, yada, yada, yada. Well, it was because he loaded my guitar up because they had intention of me playing with him that night. I got to play, like, two songs no with him. No way. And 
I'm I'm drinking Long Island iced teas, getting smashed. Oh my god! And I'm like running lights and sound, and then like we had a little break, and we had this break because uh, it ended up being one of my good friends and roommates, the drummer in this band, and like I got him where he would like do this drum solo thing, like a little intermission. Is like you know they they did all this different stuff, but try to make the show a little more catchy, you know, and do all this stuff. And when he did that, then they were like. Well, now our good friend Garrett's going to come up here and play with us. And, and you I'm had like, no idea. No idea. No, and I'm getting wasted. <laughs> I've been drinking Long Island iced teas. You know, I was 21 years old, and I'm like, I'm just going to get smashed tonight and, like, run sound and lights and sell some merch and, like, yeah. hang out. You know, like, that's what I did. Yeah. You know, I hung out with my friend's you're, bands. You were 21. Yeah. And, man, when you get on stage for the first time and feel those lights and stuff, man, like... yeah. That is one of the hottest places to be. Like, Especially when they're calling you out and being like, our buddy Garrett's coming up here. Everybody's eyes, whether it's 50 people or 500 people, they're on you in that moment. Yeah. Like, everybody's and watching And it just you. happened to be, like, so they did it. It was kind of cool because they knew a lot of my work for this stuff because this bar that I started booking them at was, like, the hot place to be in Carrollton area. Yeah. And it got to be really popular all of a sudden and I was getting them booked pretty regularly there with some other friends bands and stuff like that and it was right down the street from my house so like my parents show up like now I got friends there they're all acting like oh they're just supporting God. the band but he had like reached out to a few people and was like hey you should come out you should come out tonight and so man they put oh me front God. and center on the spotlight man and like whoo was that nerve-wracking but like yeah, it wasn't as bad because I was a little bit hammered, you know, yep. and wasn't expecting it. So I was bit. just like, let's go. Let's do this. Hell yeah. And, That's you know, awesome. it was a great experience. You know, I, I, I always will thank Kelly for doing that for me because it was cool, man. Like a lot of my friends ragged on me because they thought the band was kind of cheesy and corny and whatnot. But like, Whatever. man, I had so much fun. And like, I've always joked and I'm sure you kind of feel the same way getting involved with the music scene and stuff, even though I, neither of us went to college really and mm -hmm. did that whole thing. I'm not going to have a midlife crisis because no. like I did all that crazy shit in my early twenties while they were still in college partying and Absolutely. doing college things like that all progressed, you and, know? And there are things like, don't get me wrong. There are things I feel like I missed out on. Like mm -hmm. it, it was tough being in different countries and seeing on Facebook my friends graduating from college, having yeah. kids, like getting married. And joining but fraternities exactly, and all that and having all these like stuff. crazy relationships. I, I never experienced living in a dorm and like meeting people through college and all mm -hmm. that stuff. But don't get me wrong, I would never go back and change anything. Yeah, me neither. Like, I, I just I wouldn't because I tell people all the time, when I'm on my deathbed, whether that's God forbid tomorrow or fifty years from now. Yeah, I, I mean, as of right, if I died tomorrow, I would have no regrets. Yeah, life. I've seen more of the world than most people will ever get to see, and I thank God every day for that. Like, yeah, I truly lived a blessed life, and it was uh, it, it's something I just, I, I mean, I can't, I can't believe it happened. Honestly, like, right, it, it seems you went from like yeah. tossing merch out and stuff, literally, and, to, and then to, to, to managing Diplo. Yeah, to putting tours together with semi-trucks and buses. And not only that, but I got to work with bands I grew up listening to. Like, bands that changed my life. And then internally, you have to be like, don't freak out, don't freak out. Like, yeah. And then, because they're just people, you know? Yeah. But it's just, 
See, and bad. I just learned this about you today. You didn't even tell me this. Josh brought it up, and I what thought he was just messing with me. What do you say? At first, but I'll start it off with when I was like twelve, my babysitter at the time for me and my little brother agreed to come watch me and my little brother. My parents had some like all day thing they were going to. Okay. No idea what it was, but her boyfriend shows up and he's like super pissed off because she lived like four houses down from us. Mm -hmm. She's like 16, 17, I don't know. Yeah. But like, we're just at that age and my brother's like two and a half years younger than me that like, and we like hate each other at this point in our life. You know, like we're just trying to kill each other. Right. So my dad's like, there's no way I'm leaving him home all day. So he hires her to watch us. Yeah. Well, boyfriend shows up super pissed off that she took this like babysitting job. He's like, did you forget? And she's like, oh yeah, kind of. He had tickets to Lollapalooza in Kansas City. Oh, damn. So, guess who he takes instead of her? He's like, well, I'm taking Garrett, and I guess Garrett no can go way. with me. So, I roll with him, and it's the Motley Crue tours playing with him, and it's like, I watched Tommy Lee play spinning upside down at 12 years old oh, yeah. in a spinning drum cage, and I'm like, this is the craziest shit I've ever seen in my life, like... I'm not even into the drums. Like, I don't have <laughs> rhythm to play the drums, but like... But like, who does this? But you know? that's the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. You know, prior to that, I hadn't been to anything like major. I think like the biggest concert I'd been to at that time was like New Kids on the Block or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, it wasn't anything like Motley Crue lighting stages on fire and... Nikki Six shooting fire out of his bass and all yeah, that Yeah, and... Tommy yeah. Lee playing spinning upside down in a drum kit that's like hovering over us. And we were on the floor. Like, my dad was so pissed off. Like, they beat yeah. us home. But it worked out in your favor, though. Oh, yeah, man. Because yeah. it gave me that, like, no, got to be involved. But he was like, yeah, he's like, Evan, Evan, I mean, has it been verified that he was like really this deep in music injuries? Because I told him to call Motley Crue on the phone and like, he, he, he couldn't get anybody on the phone. And I was like, but you don't, but you don't, call, you don't yeah. call those people. Though, yeah, you, know? you don't. Like, yeah, the only person I act, I know in Motley Crue is uh, is Tommy Lee. But I mean, if I text him right now, like he would text back. I, um, you know, Lava Cantina down the street. Mm -hmm. I actually booked him at Lava Cantina for a DJ set uh, about two years ago. It got canceled, but like he is, he's a homie. For yeah, sure. like. God. What's it like hanging out with Tommy Lee? He well, he's he's chill now. Like he's, yeah, he's sober. I mean, he told me crazy stories about right. back in the day, but now he's like he's sober, like just the nicest guy. Have you read the book? I haven't read the book. No. All right, I'm gonna let you borrow it. Okay, you, you should. Like I, I being somebody watched... in the industry that like you know as deep as you were. Yeah. The Motley Crue book out of all the books about bands like. I it's watched. Probably, it's better than the Led Zeppelin. I book. watched the Dirt. Yeah, but that's about as the far book. As I've the done. book's better. The book is so much better. No, I, I've been to Tommy's house and like he is just uh, he's just he's a nice dude. Like yeah, it, I mean, because in reality, like when you compare, I've done cool stuff. Don't get me yeah. wrong. But when you compare me to Tommy Lee, it's like two different planets. You know right? What I mean? Yeah, because he's a rock star. Like, yeah, he doesn't have to treat somebody. Especially when I met him, I was like twenty. One, yeah. I mean, he could have written me off like that. Yeah, you know what I mean. And the fact he was so nice and like thanked me for the hospitality because he wanted to see a band I was working with. Yeah, that's kind of how we got connected. Right. And like you know, of course, we treated him to the full VIP treatment. Like, got him everything he needed. Got his friend tickets, VIP parking, like all this stuff. I mean, he was so thankful. Like, 
appreciative. You would, if he had like, a, if I didn't know it was him, I would never guess it was anybody. Of you just thought it was a normal, cool ass totally. dude. Like he was just. I've always found that too. And I don't know if this is your experience too. Um, yeah. I've been exposed to whether it's musicians of all levels of fame and notoriety to athletes, same thing. Yeah. When you treat them like they are just some mm-hmm. random person you've met, they are the coolest people in the world. Like, cause mm-hmm. that's all they really want to be. Like, we all want to be rock stars. That's right. They want to live a normal life. They want to be able to go out and just have a normal experience. And it's funny to me that all the people that say, like, especially media, mm-hmm. when they say someone is an asshole mm-hmm. or this guy's like the biggest jerk you had in the a world, camera right in their face, and you probably like, were being yeah. really rude and not considerate of their space. But the ones that they all say are nice are the biggest assholes. That's right. The ones that they say are the big assholes are yeah. the nicest human beings in the world, especially if you treat them with any. Like an ounce of respect. It's usually flip-flopped. And yeah. my dad, uh, I took him to some shows, got him backstage, you know. Again, that was that was cool that we got to connect over that. But, um, you know, it was interesting. I think when he had that moment of realization, like you just said, they're normal people, is we were side stage. The band was, like, doing their thing, getting ready to go on. You know, the stage was dark, whatever. And... The singer of this band, this was at House of Blues in Dallas. Yeah. The singer of this band was uh, going through something with a, a girlfriend or, or his fiance at the time and just wasn't feeling it. You know, my dad goes, like, hey, you ready? Like, you know, like, you good to go on? And he was like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll be good. And he's like on his phone texting his last few texts to her before he goes on stage. Mm-hmm. And he gets on stage, runs out there, like hypes up the audience. And it's like, my dad looks at me and he goes, you would never know that guy's going through what he's going through. Like, yeah. I mean, cause when they're on stage, I mean, they're, it's they a perform there. It's a show. Yeah. Like concerts are a performance, you know? And it didn't matter. I mean, it shouldn't matter what they're going through. It's like when I walk in the doors at ICC, it doesn't yeah. matter what's going on outside these walls. Like I come in and I want to make sure the members, the guests have a great experience, you know? Yeah. Cause like, who cares what's going on in my life? Like I got to perform for other people, you know, yeah. same thing with, with, with tour managing. It's like, I could be the, one of the most valuable things I learned. I think you learn more from people when you see them do something and you're like, I never want to be that guy. Like there yeah. was this tour manager I was working under and he would get stressed out. Things would go wrong and it, the band would visibly see the stress in his demeanor, you know, his hand would start kind of shaking and he just internally just freak out, but you're there to handle the stress and keep the band calm, you know, whatever you're going through or whatever's going wrong, like in their minds, because they're the ones paying you. It's all handled. It's all handled. It's all good. Like, and especially, you know, as musicians, not, not all musicians, but a lot of musicians deal with anxiety, depression, mental illness like they're yeah. artists you know and so to that to like what to what seems to us like oh this is this isn't good this is going wrong whatever they take that and escalate it to a whole nother level you know yeah. especially because this is their this is their livelihood you know yeah so no i've i've learned so much from seeing people do things 
wrong and being like, yeah, I, I don't want to do that. Yeah. So. How much of that was from your like mentor and like, or how much was just from like being around these people and the experiences? Like what, what really taught you and what, what were some of those key lessons other than the one you just mentioned of like That's, managing true artists, managing musicians, and managing the crazy that is being on the road. Because it's like a family, you know, you put those people together on a bus mm -hmm. for X amount of time, yeah. everybody starts going crazy. Like, no, any band member, and I don't care how big they are, whether it's the... Ford Chevy van yep. that everybody's crammed into to the tour bus. That shit is chaotic. It is not fun. Yeah. It gets old really fast. You're in tight quarters yeah. and you're on a very tight schedule of be here, do this, do that, yeah. do this, do that, and, and, one and then mistake. perform and act like it's these people's biggest night of their lives. Absolutely. And, and one mistake can cost the band Thirty, fifty, a hundred thousand dollars if they miss a show, mm -hmm. and it's on you as the tour manager. I think to an to answer your question about lessons I learned early on, um, this came from a lot of this came from Kyle, Third Eye Blind's tour manager. Yeah, because I was in a van and trailer with the local band, right? And I was like, and that was the first time you know he took me on Third Eye Blind's bus, and I got to be inside a tour bus, and I'm like. Oh this man, this is awesome, you know? And he's like, well, let me, let me teach you a few things. He goes, this is like living on a tube with 11 guys for months on end. Like, it's, it's rough, you know? And he's like, we have fun, you know, whatever, but it's, it's work. It's really hard work. And um, one thing he taught me is, you know, he goes, I don't care how good you get at your job whether you want to keep selling merchandise or be a tour manager or do be a production manager, whatever it is, he's like, don't be an asshole. And he's like, what I mean by that is you're in these tight quarters with these 11 guys for such a long period of time. I promise you the music industry is so small and tight knit word will get, get around that you're not pleasant to be around. And it doesn't matter if you're the top of your career, as far as, being capable of doing the job. He goes, anybody can do a job. Anybody can learn how to do a job, but you've got to have the personality where people want to be around you. And as I grew throughout my career, it, it just remained so, so true. I mean, on top of being a good person, one thing you all, I also learned early on, especially when, when I got into management, is uh, you're essentially like two things for these artists. One, you're like an adult babysitter because you got to get these grown adult. And, and remember, I was 18, 20 years old yeah. telling 40-year-old, 50-year-old guys what to do. So you're a babysitter. And it's not their first tour. No, it's not. They know what they're doing. Yeah. So you got to be confident, too. you got to know what you're talking about. you got to be this babysitter for adults. But it's also so much of, like, psychology. I mean, yeah. you've got to, like... You're their therapist, too. You've got to talk to them about... Dude, I've had, this was later on when I got into management, but this artist texted me about getting a, a restraining order against his girlfriend because they were in the car together and she tried to like turn the, pull the car into a ditch and, you know, hurt them. And it's like, how do you, like, you can't 
I don't care if you go to school. I don't care what you yeah. go through. Like, you've just got to know how to react to the situations. And like we talked about, A, remain calm, you know, like sympathize with them, but remain calm and then just get it done. But when you give an artist a management contract, if you choose to have a contract, you there is I'm, anybody that wants to be in music, you can't think of the things that fit into this job description. Yeah. Because, and granted, managers get paid commission. So when I'm on the call with him doing this stuff, it's like, if you tell him to go F off or whatever, you know, that's not part of your job, then he might, he'll probably fire you. But then when you're, when you're doing it, I'm like, I've never filed a restraining order. Like, how do I do that? So I'm, yeah. I'm looking at how to do it. And then I get paid commission. So it's like, I'm not even getting paid for my time here, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's rough. It's a like, balancing act. It is. It, it literally is a balancing act. And then while you're doing that, you've also got to keep them focused and you got to keep your focus on, okay, what's going to benefit not only my career, but the artist's career as well. Like what's actually going to make us money in the long run. Yeah. But I mean, it's, uh, those are just a few lessons I learned. Being a psychologist, being there for your artists and just being a babysitter for adults, which is part of the reason I never drank on tour. That was the biggest thing for, for Kyle. He was like, you know, I, I don't know what Third Eye Blind was getting paid, but maybe, let's just say it was $30,000. Let's put that number out there. Yeah. If the band gets drunk one night, if any band gets drunk one night, and as the tour manager, you partake in that, one guy does something stupid and decides to jump off the bar, breaks his leg, and you miss a show, well, manager calls you the next day. So you're not making the show. That's $30,000 we budgeted for. That's not going to be there now. What happened? And you got to be like, well, I wasn't there to control the situation. And one example of that is um, I was sitting in the passenger seat of, you know, on another van tour I was in. The drummer was driving and we were leaving Red Rocks in Colorado. Yeah. And so we were driving through the mountains, headed towards California, hit black ice, our trailer jackknives. So I'm in the passenger seat. I look over and the trailer's next to me. I couldn't open my door because it was hitting the trailer. So we had drums ruined. Everybody was okay, thank God, besides a few, a lot of bruises and stuff. But it's two in the morning. We're stranded yeah. on the side of the road. And as the tour manager, like, I, I was ready to pass out. But I hadn't been drinking, but I mean, I'm tired, you know? Yeah. And then you got to just turn it back on and be like, I got to leave this situation. Like, I got to figure it out. So called 911, rented like two rental. They took us, they actually put our van on this like lift. And they weren't supposed to do this, but they kept us in the van. <laughs> so we're driving like on top of this lifted uh, tow truck to the next city, rent two vehicles. We drop our van off somewhere, get as much gear as we can. We called the other bands. They let us borrow a bunch of stuff. And dude, we made the show. Like, we had a day off, luckily, the yeah. next day. But, I mean, your your job in music, whether you're selling merchandise, whether you're an audio tech tour manager, especially if you're a tour manager, it's not a 9 to 10 p.m. job. Like, yeah. you have to be on all the time. So, if you're, if you're on a tour that's eight weeks long, you basically have eight weeks of being on the clock. Like, you can't... Even on off days, like, if... If you get 
you know, yeah, make sure people are hydrated. Yeah. Eating. I mean, you got to make sure people are good. They have to, you know, I always gave people a list of, you know, these are good restaurants nearby with good reviews. Here's like, there's a top golf buyer hotel. Like you got to find stuff for them to do. I mean, you've got to like, you've always got to be on. There's no off day as a tour manager. Yeah. So that's crazy, man. Yeah. That's a whole nother level. See, I, I, I got to do just more local stuff because I had so many friends that I met from going around and I had friends that were managing and running bars and booking bands and bars. We were at all the coolest, newest bars in DFW. Yeah. And then, you know, you know, I graduated high school in 98. Not long. Not and so for me. late 90s, early 2000s, the DFW music scene was off this popping off i mean it was so crazy i mean you had edgewater you had dolly braid you had um i mean i'm forgetting so many right when now but bowling for soup come bowling out? for soup yeah. was in that time frame mtv was blowing the shit out of bowling for soup yeah yeah i mean you had all those guys here and you know you had the older bands coming in and trying to sign them and help them out with their stuff you know you had flicker stick yeah. You had all these badass bands that, I mean, when it was, the Nixons. Oh, yeah, um, You know, you had all these bands that were just blowing the, the toadies, up. Toadies, too. Hollow, Toadies. Yeah. Um, man, I mean, there's Down Low. I mean, all these bands that were supposed to be the next big thing, and a lot of them did a lot of really big things, you know, and, like, mm-hmm. just being around that and getting asked to help with shows in whatever way. I mean, I, I didn't care what one of them asked me to do. I mean, I had friends that tease me all the time, like, Oh, you're a roadie. You're this and that. I'm like, dude, I'm having the time of yeah. my life. Oh, like, absolutely. give me all the shit you want. When I, did you go see so-and-so open up for somebody and hang I, out backstage with them while they're warming up? And I stuff? wanted to be in a band in, in high school, maybe, but yeah. that dream died quickly. And, Man, I don't talk talk about no regrets. Like, I have zero zero regrets of, of doing that. I was always the one booking the shows, promoting the shows. Uh, yeah, you know all that stuff. And was it more too that like because this is my experience? Yeah, I could play good rhythm guitar. Yeah, I wasn't like gifted or anything, no. but like I could play. Yeah, but it took me. Hours and hours of practice just to be okay. So, I'll, I'll but then when you see these other guys that are truly gifted, yeah, you're like, man, I know how much. And uh, even the ones that you see that end up being really good that aren't like super gifted, you see how much time and dedication they put in absolutely. just to do what they do. And you're like, I got to a point where I was like, yo, like I'm, I'm not doing that. You've like, got, you've got to be honest with your, with yourself at one point, you know? Yeah. And, and my dad opened my eyes to that. He was like, you spend like an hour a day on your, on your guitar or bass or whatever. And he's like, but you're on the computer for hours promoting your band. And I'll tell your, you guys a story. Um, I've never told publicly before, but whatever. Uh, I booked one of my bands in high school, a huge show. It was a festival in Grand Prairie. We were opening for like Asking Alexandria and Trivium and all these Holy bands. Holy shit. And I, get, I got us like one of the opening spots on this yeah. show. And uh, I was working so hard because we had to sell a certain number of tickets to that show. And I was focused so heavily on that that I didn't really practice my parts. And so 
We get on the stage. I'm playing bass at the time, thank God. And I turn my bass amp off. Or no, not the bass amp. The knobs on my guitar, I turn all the way down. And I'm just like, <laughs> pretending I'm jamming out. But dude, I didn't know my parts because I was so focused on selling these tickets and succeeded in that area. But yeah, I d- didn't put the time into practicing my my instrument. So turn the mic stuff a little loud on. Yeah, the I was drum. just like, let's just like turn that up <laughs> a little bit. But no, it, it was funny. And um, another lesson too, just coming to mind, is that I really I like people say, and I'm sure you've heard this, that to make it in music, you've got to be in L.A., New York, or Nashville. Like, you've got to go there, you know? Yeah. And just like you said, I mean, Dallas has such a good local music scene, and maybe that's true if you live in, like, I'll shout out the Frakes family, Omaha, Nebraska. Like maybe Damn that, right. There you go. <laughs> Thanks, Busy. You know, maybe that's true, but, they like... They got 311, bro. They did have 311. You're right. That wasn't a good example. But maybe Boise, Idaho, or something like that. Rhode Island. There you go. I don't know. But, Delaware. you know, I, I never lived in L.A., I went six years of touring with huge acts, and I started in Dallas. The only time I moved to New York, I already had a job lined up with a management company. Yeah. And it was because I met them through t- tour managing. Yeah. So, you know, in that situation, it, I had the job. It was a great opportunity. But Is that where you met Nick? Uh, no, actually. I met Nick when I lived in Nashville. I was managing a band called Issues, and... Uh, so I, they had a manager. I came on as their new manager, and Nick was already their booking agent. Okay. So we did, like, an intro call and started working together that way. But, um, yeah, I, I don't think – if you think about it, too, like, so many people move to L.A. and New York to be actors or actress, actresses and be in the music industry. Yeah. And you become, like, a smaller fish. So the dream, actually, if you're moving out there with the hope of doing that, not to say it's not possible – it's a lot damn harder. But it's a lot harder. You could build up everything here. Because the competition here. is that much more intense. You yeah. know what I mean? So if you can do something in a city like Dallas where it's still competitive, but you're a, a bigger fish in a smaller pond. Yeah. And the yeah. scene in Dallas is coming back alive again. Like, yeah. Oh, for it's, sure. You know, I, I've been super stoked about some of the things I've seen recently with like vinyl getting bigger again, like, you know, there's North Texas vinyl and stuff like that. And the, you know, I'm pretty sure that's Zach Malloy from the Nixons has a big hand in that, but like they're reissuing vinyl, like original vinyls of like the big bands from like the late nineties, two thousands. And a lot of that is starting to get some of these guys, even if it's just a quick little reunion show or whatever, Yep. It's bringing that back out, and you're starting to see projects spin off of that. Absolutely. These guys are getting itch again. Yep. They may be in their 40s or 50s, but, you know, like, they really don't give a shit. They're like, yo, <laughs> let's do this again, and yeah. let's do something. And it's just, uh, to me, that's so cool to see. Like, anytime I can see something live or acoustic, like, I'm just like, that's, oh. that's the coolest thing. Like, you walk into a bar... I mean, I've told this story many times, too. You know, one of the concerts I won tickets to when I was younger was Prince. Oh, and my nice. buddies gave me so much shit that I was going to a Prince. Because that was, back then, that was when Prince started doing all the weird stuff, you know. like, yeah. And they were like, oh, that's gay, or that's this and that. And it was just like, yo, 
I saw more beautiful women and like Prince was like the ultimate panty dropper. Like there was more panties and bras flying at that stage than any concert I've ever been oh, to in my life. Absolutely. And it was absolutely insane. I would have been right there with and you. And what was really cool is there was another bar at the time in Dallas. I want to say it was called like Blues Cat Blues or something like was that. Was it Deep Ellum? It was in Deep Ellum. It was an old swanky little blues bar, man. I've seen some of the best blues artists in that bar that you can imagine. Mm. Like, name any of the classic blues guitarists. Like, I probably saw them there. And it was like, I went and saw a show at Trees or somewhere like that. Man. Everybody else wanted to keep partying. And I would just kind of go over there and have like a few end of the night drinks. Trees is like legendary to me. Like, yeah. Like, the owner of that place is super cool. Now, Clint yeah, is Clint's awesome. super cool. Barlow, yeah. He's done super well. I'm super proud to see what all he's done with his venues in Deep Ellum. The factory's an amazing Bomb venue. Factory, Canton Hall. Um, you know, there's so many, so many places. You can't say Bomb are, Factory anymore. It's just the factory. Yeah, well, he they they sold it. I think Live Nation oh, or something okay, bought that's it. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think Canton Hall and Live and and uh, he still has trees. But uh, did it, wasn't Mark Cuban involved in a venue? Around I don't here? I don't know on that. I one. I mean, even Lava Cantina here in the Colony, like to have a yeah. venue like that within five miles from us is yeah. like. I mean, dude, that's a nice venue. Like, yeah, that, it's they have pretty. A great it's stage. pretty badass. Like, yeah. I mean, lots of cover bands, us, but still, like, yeah. So I was going to tell you about that Blues Cat Blue Bar. So I go in there one night. I'm like finishing having some drinks. And all of a sudden, there's like a bunch of commotion in the back. They've just got like a little house local guy playing on the guitar. Yeah. A guy and a girl get up and sing every now and then. There's some guy playing the saxophone periodically. And all of a sudden, everything just like stops. Okay. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like, this is just weird. Like, you know, it's it's 1.30 in the morning. Like... Like, yeah, it doesn't just stop. I mean, it might have been twelve, but regardless, it was late. Like there was only an hour or two left in the night, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it got quiet. You hear them loading some stuff in. Those guys walked off, came to the bar, and they're like, "Huh, oh, sit in your seat and enjoy your seat while you got it." And I was like, "What's up?" They're like, "Wait till you see who's about to take the stage." It was Prince, dude. No, he just got done playing what? downtown, sold out arena. He just wasn't done. And he knew he wasn't going to go to sleep for a while. And, like, he just wanted to keep playing. So he just so called the bar. I'm coming in. Called in said, you got a piano? Uh, I'll bring my guitar. Um, can, I, can I play some? Oh, my And he just God. walks in, and Prince just starts playing. Like, like no big deal. Like, Dude. I'm like, holy shit. It's, like, I so, just saw the concert. Yeah. You know, like. And now he's here again. Yeah, yeah. And it was just, like, all of a sudden, it's like. So you never know. Some of these like swanky small bars can end up being super cool, man. Because mm. a lot of these musicians, they don't have if they don't have to get back on the bus right away, and like head to the next destination. Oh yeah, they got time to kill, Dude. and they don't want to just go sit and be by themselves in their room or whatever. Absolutely, they go find these hole in the walls, and like a lot of them will go hang out, man, and like just chill, like. Yeah. I've seen some of the coolest stuff at some of these small hole in the wall bars. Were, were you the one that told me that uh, Rolling, like the Rolling Stones, before their shows, will just go in and like chill at local bars? I don't like, know about that, think, man. I've seen them once. One of their members told me, or the members told me that. But yeah, I mean, yeah, things like that happen all the time. Mm-hmm. So don't discount the local spots, like because mm-hmm. I mean, everybody's got to start somewhere. And I mean, that story of Prince is phenomenal. I would have. 
Like, what was it you? We were talking about this, like, at the drive-in or whatever. Uh, I don't think so. That they would just, like, they do that, too. They, like, they come up with another name, and they may be playing a big headlining gig at a festival, but they come in, like, a day early, and they have, like, all these, like, anonymous names for their band, and they just book a show, and whoever shows up, like, you just, you're getting to watch at the drive-in or whatever, you know, like, Damn. they just rock out like i think that's so i've heard of like, did third eye blind ever do that because i've heard stephen jenkins does that like sometimes like he just does this like random ass shit and like well no because he's a weird quirky dude yeah i mean i never i never saw him do stuff like that we did that with panic at the disco we were we were panic at the disco that's what i was yeah saying. we were promoting an album and we did a, a run of like very small bar shows and then we would like do this thing where i don't remember exactly how it worked but we would we did one pop-up show, and then we would we would announce like, like the people at that show got to know where the next show was and then promote it. So yeah. you have to be like following people and like, it, I mean we're good out obviously, but it yeah, was, but it, it was, was pretty fast. It was pretty wild. Like uh, we did stubs in Austin and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. So. See, they did a really cool thing here in the early two thousands where I think it was ninety seven point one. It was like a dollar. To, or it was like 97 cents or something like that. It was some, it's like a dollar and they would just, it'd be like a Thursday night yeah. and it would be like industry night type thing. And they would just say random mystery band at curtain club or certain something like that, or club Clearview or, you know, something like that. I mean, I saw Nickelback before they like got real, real big doing that. Uh, we saw Deftones at, I saw Deftones at Curtain Club. Would tickets just go like that for those shows? Oh, no. You'd have to go and get in line at like 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock at night. And at 7, they'd open up the doors and you'd just go in. I mean, we saw Smash Mouth. We saw all these crazy bands. And it was like, you paid a dollar. And if you got in there like real early and stuff, like, but you never knew who you were going to see. That's pretty cool. And those were always super badass. I mean, like to me, anytime you can get in a smaller venue and see that, because you see that stuff go on on the bus when the guys are just pulling out a guitar yeah. acoustically, working on the new record. They get a random thought, random idea. They're working on a song. Oh, dude, and like, to, but that kind of comes to life in those smaller It, it does. And atmospheres. I, I think uh, one thing I'm realizing now, so going back to your question about lessons and stuff, mm-hmm. one thing I'm, one lesson I'm, I'm learning now is I think I took a lot of that stuff for granted while I was in it because it was just like an everyday occurrence, you know? Yeah. I'd be in the studio with them. You think about it now. I'd be on the bus. And now I think about it and I'm like, God, like, I wish I, like Brandon calls it, like those mental snapshots, you know? And I wish I just either wrote down certain things or, you know, even took more photos of places I was at. Because, like, you just don't think of it at the time. You don't think of it. Like, yeah. You're so in the zone, and I, I have mean, some of those. If like, I had to pick a regret, it would probably be just not living more in, in those the moments. moments. Yeah, yeah. I, I can think about that now. I mean, yeah. you know, I ruined a really good relationship, friendship. Um, it's probably one of the only regrets I have as a friend, right? Um, doing something really stupid and betraying a friend, and not valuing that friendship as much as I should have um, as a young guy. Um, and it was one of my favorite bands. So I'll, I'll say it was the Benjamin Allen band. Mm-hmm. These guys were so amazing live, man. Like, Nick was a guitar, like, virtuoso. They had this young kid, Mikey, 
on the violin, Troy, Jeff. Jeff's like one of the best studio drummers in the world. Um, other Jeff on bass, um, but Jeff, Jeff Durstock. I mean, he uh, he has like Drum Magazine. He does yeah. studio stuff. I mean, he's done like Shania Twain's like last couple albums. Like God. he's the guy when you need that perfect thing. And man, I was like out rolling around at live shows with these guys all the time, and like they were just so amazing. And it's just like it takes you back to some of those moments, man. Like I can remember being in my early twenties and some of these guys, you know. You're sitting backstage and they're just warming up. But then it's like that night's different. Like for whatever reason, they were vibing better, harder. Yeah. Like it was flowing. Like they were just in that kind of like flow state. Yeah. And like just watching them warm up and you're just like, holy shit, that just happened. Like I, um, I remember like one night Troy was just warming up back there and it was that uh, – I always feel like somebody's watching me. Yeah. And, you know, like, and then everybody just started busting Breaks out with that. And it was just, like, one of those moments. And you were just like, God, that was so dope. And, like, yeah. those are the things, that like, everybody else doesn't see. But, like, you get caught up in some of those you moments. You get to experience stuff. those moments. Yeah. And, like, yeah. that's – you and I have talked about this. And I'm going to go ahead and spill the beans a little bit because that's something sure. I'm still working on with the adding the music to this whole thing yep. and bringing in bands for live acoustic shows and stuff. Um, you, you, you yeah, know, I, you've I been a big part of helping with some of that, getting kicked off and some connections and relationships. So um, that's kind of what Evan and I are talking about tonight. Like I'm going to try, like that's kind of the essence of what I'm trying to bring together mm -hmm. a little bit and give people that people that MTV unplugged feel that, that live from the road, like well, I, I think access type thing, and I and I don't, I don't want to say too much. I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll let you be the one who spills the beans, but I think what I mean when Garrett told me about this idea, it was it was super cool because it's exactly what you said a few minutes ago, where you like you never know who you're gonna see, and like you get to witness these bands in such a small environment, yeah, in an acoustic setting. Where like even if they make a mistake, it's just it just shows you it's live. Like and it's, it's real just, and it's, raw. It's real. It's raw, and it like, and you walk out of those doors going, "I'm one of like 100 people who saw that tonight." Yeah, like nobody else saw that. Yeah. in person, you yeah. know. And uh, I think what you're doing is because even when you were thinking about when you were talking about the nine late, late 90s and stuff and the yeah. Dallas music scene, I mean we have a good music scene now, but it was awesome back then like yeah, there's there's things that could be ramped up so heavily here to to bring that fire back and i think what you're doing is is really one of those things that could take off in a big way so no nah, man i appreciate that and yeah. i appreciate all the like help you've given on anytime. that too anytime let's give some shout outs here I, I think both of our moms are watching tonight nice. like yeah like hey, i know i saw my mom in there yeah hi mom uh, my wife's on here. Lee, what's up? Good to see you on here. Oh, my older brother's on here too. Oh, uh oh, oh, he's on hold now. Oh, uh, I don't know what that means. Like he's old, so I mean, maybe his <laughs> dial-up, his AOL address is not letting him in. And what's up, Larry? Good to have you on here. Um, yeah, man. So, what? I don't know. What? What's like a? What are some of like the really memorable moments you took? out of the years you were on the roll on the road like i mean mm. like what what's something that just like happened or a lesson you learned that 
still applies to your life today or that, that you, that has influenced how you do or live your life today? I've got, I've got just the answer for that. Awesome. So, um, besides Canada and Mexico, you know, I did some, some shows there and stuff, but my first time, like, that I was truly out of the United States yeah. was in Mumbai, India. Mumbai, India. Mumbai, India. I had never this been... This had to be with Diplo. Of course, yeah. All right. I, was, I hadn't been to Europe yet or the UK or London or anything. And, um, you know, there, there's two lessons that... In, in, when I was there, that's one of the first times I, I did take a step back and be like, I can't believe I'm here right now. Like th- that was cool. And I remember so much from, culture shock from that. For sure. It was a huge culture shock. But the biggest thing I took away from that is um, I, I really think everybody, if they have the opportunity needs to travel to another country Absolutely. and visit other countries because it's, I, I'll never forget. We got picked up in a beautiful car. We were driving to the hotel uh, the Taj Mahal Palace in India. Mm. And on the way there, our, our driver says to us, he goes, that building right there, it was this big skyscraper. He goes, that at the top of that tower is where the richest, richest man in India lives. And it had a helicopter landing there. You could see like cars in this like elevated garage. But then as we got closer, you, we were got up, like right up next to the building and drove by it. And you like you see this level of poverty that I've never seen before. I mean, I saw naked babies on the street. Like I saw, you know, people and we're literally wearing rags, and they're leaning against the skyscraper that the richest man lives in. Yeah, it was like I've never seen that contrast before. And you know, I knew there was poverty out there. Like you hear, you know, be thankful for for what you have and all this stuff. But until you see it, it's like it hits you differently when you when you see yeah. it. And I another thing, the next day I woke up, um, the gate. There's this like beautiful arch right by our hotel, um, by the Mediterranean Sea, called the Gateway of India. And so I literally was just walking across the street to go see this arch, and it was the sun was coming up, and these kids, because they lived on the street were coming up to me, literally pulling my shirt, begging for money. And it's like, dude, I, like, I had to go back in the hotel because I was going to break down and, like, cry. You yeah. Know? I mean, I, like, I just, it, it shined this new light on the how thankful I am, not just for what I have, but the country I live in, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of stuff going on now and not getting into a political discussion on this show. Mm-hmm. But... Look, regardless of who's president or what's going on, we have it good here. You know, we have it really, really good. Yeah. And um, it it just made me so much more thankful for how I was brought up and where where I grew up and yeah, where you came for what, from for what I have. So yeah, yeah, no, that that's was awesome. Man. That was that was huge. Um, and then it also just selfishly, you know, especially during the show. It, it just made me, you know, I booked shows at skate parks and stuff when I was in high school uh, in Plano, Eisenberg's. And um, as I was doing this first big show with Diplo in Mumbai, it just showed me that, like, you know, if you keep your head low and, and work hard, like, I don't even have a picture to show you from that show in India because I was so in the moment. 
Yeah. But it just showed, it just, to me, it was just like, if you work hard and like, you're just a good person, you can do what you want. Like, it's going to be tough, but you can get there, you know? Yeah. Because I would have, I mean, I would have never expected to be in that position I was in. Yeah. So. And the Diplo thing, that came from the Third Eye Blind tour, right? Oh, yeah. And yeah. how much was in between all that? Like, was that like a... That, same thing. We talk about just being a good human. Yeah. I mean, not that I was doing it because I expected anything, but I'd hit up this guy, Kyle. Hey, how you doing, man? I knew, like, I always have... If you look through my contacts on my phone, I have people's birthdays, what their kids' names are, like... I like to remember the stuff about people yeah. I interact with and come across. And so I'd hit Kyle up on his birthday and, you know, hey, man, hope you're doing well. Happy birthday. If I was in town, hey, dude, are you, you in town? I'm coming through with this band. We'd yeah. love to have you out at the show and just hang out with you. Um, so it was just keeping this relationship up, you know? And, again, it's not because I ever expected anything out of this guy or yeah. anybody. It's I, managing I mean, relationships. It's just... And being just a, a good, good person, person. Yeah. yeah, that's all it was, you know. So, anyway, I think that that goes a long way, and I, I think that, I mean, nobody taught me that. That's just who I am. Yeah. But I, you know, I was talking to this guy in the lounge the other day and telling him about how I have these this information about people and their contacts, and he's in insurance or some, you know, business uh, profession. But he was like, oh, that's that's really good. You know, I need to start doing that for, for my clients. And it's just taking that extra 30 seconds to just input a few notes, set some reminders, you know, take a step back and uh, listen to, you know, just ask people how they're doing. Like, just genuinely be interested in other people. Yeah. That's no, what I think that's to. huge, you know, showing that side of yourself and and being that involved you know, it's kind of like last week we talked about that. Like, you know, my my friend Keith uh, lost a son, you know, like mm -hmm. that's saved in my phone. You know, every year when that anniversary rose around, I hit him up just because I know he's probably having a really rough day. It's things and, you like know, that. it's just it, all the little things like that, you know, to like try and remember those things. And I'm not the best at even, you know, it's sad because I'm in sales, mm -hmm. like, you know, remembering names yeah. and stuff like that. Like I have to. Like, I give people nicknames yeah, and exactly. stuff, like, just yeah. to help me remember. <laughs> and, like, if I can associate it with something like that, you know, like, it helps me mentally. That, to like, that reminds me of the, reminds me of the uh, episode of The Office where Michael Scott's talking to another branch, and he's, like, baldy, beardy, like, stuff mm -hmm. like that. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. What was, what, uh, this I am going to ask you. I feel like I can ask this, and, like, you're far enough removed now I can ask you this question. <laughs> right, let's see. What... What was the best, like, alias anybody ever booked under that you were like, that was hilarious? Like, oh, like in a hotel or something? Yeah, like hotel or something like that. That you had to book, um, you know, like you booked Tommy Lee in a hotel and he wanted to go as yeah. Ghost Rider. I mean, I don't know. I'm just making shit let, up right now. Let me, uh, let me think about that for a second. Um, think? Because you're always good with these, like, one-liners and stuff. I know. Like, I, I, I mean, never, like, I, I expect, like... You know, like you usually spit fire with this. Like, y'all should hear our it, conversations in the lounge. It's ridiculous. Yeah. If if they didn't have one, I would just... I mean, I, I should have been more clever with it. I would just come up with random names. Yeah. Like, Bob Smith. Uh, like, Bob Smith. Like, I think Steve, uh, Steve Jacobs or something. It's just like... 
I don't know. It was just random yeah. things. It wasn't. I I don't have a good answer for you on that. Right. One. I wish I had a better one. What was the craziest thing on a rider you ever saw? Oh, the craziest thing on a rider. There's a few I'm thinking of. Let me. I won't ask you who. Yeah, we'll yeah. leave the who I'm, out. I'm gonna narrow narrow it down. Um. And for those non-music people, the writer is like what the artist or the band requires to be in their like dressing room or anything like that yeah. for them to even come and perform the show. Yeah, I mean, we had, and just just for the viewers too, you know, I think when you think of writers, you think of like vegetable trays and some bottles of alcohol. And I want all green Skittles. Like yeah. I think uh, a writer is nothing but an ego stroke. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. And sometimes it, it is. is. Like, yeah. if you read some of these bands, like, biographies and stuff, like, they'll sort of say, like, I like Led Zeppelin and Motley Crue, both of their books, they were like, we just wanted to see how far we could push no, this. A, like, a lot of them what, really do What's that. the craziest thing we can tell them they have to have here and then, like, just be the biggest asshole yeah. because did, they uh, don't have it? In Omaha, when I ran the radio station, we did Destiny's Child. They wanted oh. only green and gray Gray M&Ms, they had to be separated. They had to have gold foil lined china, and they wanted wings, only drumsticks, not one flat in sight. When I tell you these heifers didn't eat none of that shit, they didn't touch <laughs> none of it. I was damn near getting ready to go throw a chicken wing at Beyonce and all. I'm like, hey, you, you going to get this food before y'all leave? <laughs> like, you know how hard it was, and we had to order the gray M&Ms from M&M, like mm, specifically. Literally. Like, they didn't touch. When I say they touch, they touched bottled water. That was it. They didn't yeah. touch anything else. But yeah. we did Casey and JoJo, and these alcoholic assholes. They're <laughs> boys. They they specifically wanted seven hundred and fifty milliliter bottles of Hennessy, one mm. for each of them. Their boys came into the green room, started. They took. They cracked the bottle open, took a sip. That was it. So when Casey and JoJo came in, they said, "Well, who opened up my bottle?" I said, "Your dude sitting right there." Well, I'm not going on stage till I get a fresh bottle. I'm like, well, oh, shit, we might God. not have a show. Because, bro, your boy just drank. Literally, I had to send somebody to the liquor store to get. When I say probably what's left in your glasses right now was as much that was missing, but because it was cracked open, and his boy handed him the bottle that he just drank from. Yeah. We had to go get a fresh bottle. Yeah, Man. they just want to show their power. Oh, my promotional <laughs> days were done at that moment. I like I don't do this shit ever again because this is crazy. It's Biz Will Casey and JoJo's ass. But uh that's for another other, show. Other common things <laughs> are like all my life. I waited for a moment just like, shit. I was gonna sing the song for him. Other, other other common things are like Sharpies, you know, to sign autographs and gun yeah and stuff like that. But I, the craziest, I, most outlandish thing that was requested from somebody you manage has been what? Uh, honestly, probably so. We were it was getting cold in one of the cities we were going to, and the band didn't pack properly for the weather. So they were like, "Hey, for this show, tell them we need like North Face jackets on, on our rider." So they made the you know uh, hospitality chick like go and shop for them, and that was I, I never got to I never dealt with anybody too crazy. I mean. There were also, like, some people required, like, full-on, like, juicers and certain vegetables and stuff like that. Yeah. But, like, I, I don't think... So, it just made it harder for you to, like, prep and, like, yeah. hey, we're about to be in the city. Yeah. You had to, like, mark out all the places where they could exactly. go to get what they actually wanted while they were in exactly. said city. Correct. Not yeah. necessarily, like, for the, the show. There wasn't anything 
too crazy. I mean, Tommy Lee, like, what are those things called? It's like two wheels, and it's just like the board you ride around on. Oh, the, the, uh, like the police, the, 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 the security guards. Yeah, are, yeah. yeah like he he want, he had one of those in his dressing room, you know, and he had a case for it, so he'd be in there like when we showed up. But like, I don't know. There's stuff like that that they just like to like in the stadiums too. People wanted like electric scooters to ride around the stadium halls and then it was fun. So what is the most fulfilling moment that you think you've had? The most fulfilling moment? Um, like the, like the, this is why I do this moment. Yeah. The, mo- I mean the most f- fulfilling moment, it was like, I- I've always been about just, I love making other people happy and helping people and when you're working on a show or a tour for months at a time, like, I mean, you're, because you got to think about it. When you advance shows, you're dealing with, like, 60 venue contacts, sending them your list of audio specs, like, do we use our, our generator? Or do you have shore power for the bus? Where do we park? How do we load in? What's the Wi-Fi password? How many dressing rooms do we have? Like, you're dealing with all this stuff for months, getting the day sheets together, booking the bus, booking all the hotels. Why couldn't you have told me that before I talked to Nick? What do you mean? Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry about that. But that was the lesson I could have used about a I month know. or two ago. But when, when you're dealing with all of that, and then the, the show happens, the tour's happening, and then it's like you're, the band's on stage, you got them where they needed to be, and you're just looking out at that crowd going nuts. Yeah. Like, that's fulfilling right yeah. there. And you're like, oh, you know, I didn't make this happen, but I had a part in making this happen that's like that was really cool that was just a different feeling i'm glad i kept my conversation where i did with nick yeah because if you and i had had that conversation because i never dealt with bands of that level Mm -hmm. you know what i mean or that got to that level where i was still involved in any capacity so knowing that and you know because i asked him i was like all right what do I what do I need to have to be able to have a serious discussion with you? And he basically just rattled off everything you just said. He's like, really? I need to know yeah. X, 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 X. Like, I, I need to know what soundboard you have. I need to know yeah. how many speakers. I need to know, you know, all of a sudden I'm just sitting there going, I mean, I'm trying to write as fast as he's talking. I was like, all right, man, thank you very mm-hmm. much. I really appreciate your time. I don't want to keep you any longer because... I now know what I need to have to have the next conversation with but you. I think but it was so good just it, to have the conversation It was great. You got them. the introduction. Yeah. And for those that don't know, Nick is a booking agent I worked with. Who He's like the largest booking agent in the U.S. for the record. So he's, he's a booking agent, a big <laughs> booking agent. And I introduced Garrett to this guy to try to see how we could get some bands, you know, for what we talked about with Garrett's idea. But I think it was good to make the introduction. Oh, absolutely. And uh, you you did something that 95% of people wouldn't do, which is respect his time. And I think that because of that, yeah. now you've got the relationship. And when you're ready, you can reach back out. Yeah. Hey. He knows I'm not calling him unprepared. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, I'm, when you when I come with out, it next time, ready. we're so, going to be. No, you did the right thing. I don't think you, you should have changed anything. You made the introduction and it was... No, but that's a lesson for people too. Like, don't be afraid to have the conversation yeah. either. And admit because, when like, you don't know. I felt, I felt, you know, I was nervous about that. Like, just 
making the call. And like, honestly, like our meeting got pushed and pushed and pushed to the point that I was like, is this even going to happen? Yeah. And then like, and then it did happen. And it was like, then I felt really unprepared, but I asked just a few basic questions so Mm -hmm. that, you know, now I know the next time when I am ready to really have a conversation with him, I'm prepared. I'm not wasting his time. I know what he needs to take the conversation to the next level with his people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then we can have that respectful conversation and see what it's going to take to make something happen. Because I'm not, anybody that knows me knows that I don't half-ass shit. I'm either all in or I'm all out. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I have to, I, I shoot for the moon if I'm going to do it. Like, yeah, you know, like... Yes, I have the connections to get a lot of local bands on, and yes, we're going to start out that way. But I'm already working on, and you know, we haven't even said the name of this. We haven't dropped any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm already preparing for when we get that going. Now, right, now I'm ready to I'm ready to shoot for the moon. Well, you like, don't want to set yourself up to fail. No, like you're. But I want to be prepared yeah. that when the next step arrives, because it's going to arrive. Yeah. That that's You're the ready. mentality I have that like we're we're gonna go here next. And and the other thing that the other lesson I'll I'll add on to that is when you don't know something, it's this it's this balance of being confident in what you do know, but when you don't know something, owning just that. own it. Like yeah. admit it. And then find to, that answer to add on to it. And this was something when I got assistance and crews under me, I would tell them this all the time. Because you realize how valuable, like your time is and people's time time is, when you show somebody something, it just I don't know how to do it. They show you how to do it. Don't ask again. Pay attention. Yeah. If you're still not getting it, make sure you understand. And when they leave that discussion, like, is then that'll really piss people off. Yeah. If you waste their time, they show you how to do it. And then you're still not getting it. Because like, you were afraid to ask another question because you exactly. felt stupid or you didn't totally. want to ask that. Like, Admit yeah. when you don't know, but when they show you, take it in, pay attention, take notes, whatever you have to do, but make sure you understand how to do it the next time. Absolutely. All right, you got to try this one. All right. Since we haven't got to have our little bourbon journey yet, like we're, we're kind of wrapped that in. So tonight, Evan and I are both smoking, I think Biz too now at this point. Uh, we're going Zulu Zulu tonight for those of you curious what we're smoking over here and then we've got some other ones we'll probably break into I've also got I haven't smoked this yet have you had this one yet no so these just came in the shop these are the Monte Cristo 1935 anniversary ones I think this is a Nicaraguan Uh, I'm super excited about this one and then uh, I know what a fan you are so I mean we went with the Byron over here I'm a fan so and you can obviously see what bourbons we're drinking. Uh, he's not a big drinker, so I took it kind of easy on him tonight. You know, made no. sure we had some some solid lower ones out That's here good. for you. I, I didn't want to turn you. you into a college sorority girl over here, <laughs> aka Darius. I'm going to give you a little shout out, you punk. But yeah, so what? I mean, obviously, so COVID is what pretty much derailed you mm-hmm. and got you to where you were like, okay, I think I need to find some other things to do. Yeah. This was fun. Yeah. I enjoyed it, but there's other things I want to do. Yeah. Um, before you tell everybody else what you're doing now, 
do you still want to go back to that? Like, is no. it something you have a desire to go back and do again? Or do you feel like I've done that? Now it's time. I'm a little older. I want to like settle down a little bit and like, I, I'm done with that part of my life, but I still want to be involved in music no. in some way, shape or form. Or do you just completely look, I, I want to go a different direction now. I, I, I love music. You know, I'll, I'll always love going to live shows and, you know, certainly will help you out with with, with, what, yeah. with whatever you need. But no, I have no interest in, in going back to music. I mean, there was a short period of time where in the last few months earlier this year, I thought about like, like I found this artist I liked and I was like, oh, maybe I could manage him a little bit. And as soon as I started talking to him, it was just like, what am I doing? Like, I, yeah. it just, it wasn't. The fit wasn't right. No, it, it, it. It didn't feel exciting anymore. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, I am a firm believer that everything happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. And even the things that suck and make you feel like you're at your lowest are happening because it's teaching you some kind of lesson. It's happening for, for a reason. And when COVID hit, like, you know, I think I was already looking back at it, getting burnt out. I mean, I did more than I ever thought I would be able to accomplish and, uh, you know, the only way I could really do more is if I managed like a Miley Cyrus or a, a big pop star. And yeah. I, I, don't, I don't mean that in a, in a cocky way or any kind of like egotistical. That's the next level you were going y- to. Yeah. But yeah. it's like, I mean, I was, I was working for myself, managing some big clients by myself. Um, but the only way you can make good money in music, uh, I mean, I take that back. One of the easiest slash hardest ways to make good money in music is to work for yourself. If you find an artist, build them up. Because like the management company I was working for in New York, we managed some of the biggest names in the music industry. Like, literally. Like, and, but I was making less than a six-figure salary. Because anybody, the fact is anybody would take that job, you know? Yeah. And as I don't regret it as I learned a lot from it. It was a great opportunity, but if you want to make the millions of dollars being a manager, you've got to find that act and build them up and make them something great from the ground, from the ground up. Yeah. And, uh, no, I did more than I ever thought I could do. So closing that chapter, it was fine. Um, we were also getting into a, not to go back to politics, a political state in this country where if you said certain things, I mean, you'd yeah. be basically canceled for saying what you believe. Um, and it was just, it was getting really just... Um, hard to the, enjoy just doing it, your day-to-day It was work. hard to enjoy. The fun was kind of getting sucked out of it. And um, COVID kind of came at the... I mean, I don't mean this in any disrespect but kind of the perfect time where it forced me to perfect time for you to for me to just close that door because um i don't know if i would have done it on my own yeah and i don't know if i would be here if if that hadn't happened um but i mean like i'm not gonna lie like after covid and everything shut off like i was lost like i mean i know it affected everybody so I sympathize with everybody out there because I know people had it way worse than I did. But I, I mean, I was lost. Like, I didn't know what to do. I had accepted that this was kind of me closing that chapter in my life. But you got to think when you work, since the time you're a kid and you want to get something and you kind of 
get it. You get a taste of it. And you're like, this is the only thing I've wanted to do. What do I do yeah. now? I mean, it kind of messes you up, you know? Yeah. And somebody in my family who, who I won't name, like I was going around the different jobs and, you know, trying to see if maybe I liked this or maybe I liked that. And they were just like, you're really like bouncing around at different jobs. And I'm like, yeah, the thing I loved the most was like taken away from me, you know, like I, I got to start over and, yeah. and I'm, I'm 31 now COVID hit and I was 28, 29. Yeah. So like as a 28 year old, 29 year old. And again, you see your friends graduating from college, working their jobs, having families. I mean, I felt way behind because life set sets these, you know, ex- ex- expectations on you. And I'm like, well, now I've like got nothing. Yeah. So it was, it was a, a rough time for you sure. You got plenty of time, my friend. Uh, it's funny, you know, when you're 21, and you think you have the world figured out and then you hit 27 and it's like that 27 to me is when most guys realize they don't have shit figured out. Like they, they thought they had it all figured out, mm-hmm. but then they realize like, oh, wait, I don't have everything figured out and I don't have to. Yeah. Like they think that's a sure. big thing. Like I don't have to. Like, I've still got, you know, God willing, I've got a lot of life ahead of me. Yeah. And I think you're in that stage now. Now you're like, okay, like, I don't regret any of this. Like, but now I'm ready to take on that next challenge. Like, let's rock and roll. I'm ready to go right now. Yeah. I'm I'm good. Yeah. What's the most, because you got a lot of tats and like, I'm about to get my next one. So (laughs) what's the most memorable tat or tat story from tour? Because I'm sure some of these are definitely from tour. I don't know cameras over there but this uh guy the skeleton in the beer mug right yeah here. so that's a matching tattoo i've got with the drummer of this band i worked with and our photographer so uh we were sitting in a hotel room on a day off and the tour we were on was sponsored by skype and the drummer was like talking to fans over skype and this one kid says tell us a joke you know tell us the funniest joke you know and the drummer goes uh a skeleton walks into a bar and orders a beer and a mop. And the photographer and I look at each other like, what? Like, where's the punchline? And he's like, no, because he drinks the beer and like, it goes right through. So he's got to clean it up. And so we gave him shit for that all tour. Last day of tour was in Chicago. And it just became this inside joke. So we got a skeleton. I doubt you can see it, but it's a skeleton in a beer mug mopping up the beer. So that That's was kind awesome. of a fun little, little tour tat. So, all right, right on. So for everybody that's wondering, what are you doing now? I mean, you're repping an industrial cigar company t-shirt or polo. So uh, marketing manager, industrial cigar company in Frisco, Texas. And, um, you know, I came in, I I have my own marketing company. I started earlier this year or late last year. And uh, I came in because I saw they had a social media position open and I was going to try to bring them on as another client. But, I mean, I think the interview I had with, with Brandon lasted three hours or so. I mean, we just hit you it. You mean Brandon can talk for three hours? Yeah. I never, I never know that. <laughs> I was kidding. No, I think no. our podcast with the Franks on here was like, that's the Easter egg. We is yeah. the very first one we did. And for whatever reason, like the video didn't work. We just have the audio, like the audio is out there. So we leave that as the Easter egg. Oh, that's awesome. I had all three Frank brothers on here. Oh, that, I got to listen to that. And it was that's like, cool. yeah, it was it was pretty solid. Like we said a lot of stuff that 
probably would have gotten us kicked off the air if we like <laughs> had any following at the time. I got to check that out. But no, we just we hit it off. Uh, ended up working for them in in February, and it's just been like, like I, I don't say this to for lack of a better word, blow smoke up their ass. But, you know, it, it's been a life-changing job. I mean, they just love the family, love the environment here. I mean, I met you, Busy, like, the other members here, and it's just like I never expected when I got a job at a cigar lounge for it to be this. Yeah. It's freaking awesome. It's it's really cool. Right So we, we're, do, we're doing a lot of stuff where, you know, I'm helping them – market next door uh, fuselage the cocktail lounge they're opening up and it's just it's been such a blessing man it's been really cool right on so what are your what are your new goals now man my new goals what are you what are you trying to do now now that you've uh, opened this new chapter um so i i do have my my marketing business right now but honestly like and again i'm not trying to blow smoke up the freaks families ass but like i i really want to help everything i do now like brandon told me a dream that their family has so everything i do here i think to myself you know is it a step in the right direction towards their dream yeah and i'll tell you what that is off air but um i think that in the cigar industry and, and i'm sure busy can add on to this i feel like as a whole the cigar industry is behind when it comes to marketing production Ecom stuff like that. Yeah. And for me, for somebody like myself that has that marketing background, I see it as opportunity. And in everything I do, like you said, you go all out. You go for the moon, right? Yeah. I want to make a dent in that cigar industry. I want to change the way that people market their brands and show cigars to a younger audience and, you know, really just rattle up the culture of that so prior to this were you a big cigar guy i mean where'd your cigar journey start not a big cigar smoker to be honest um first thing i smoked i'll you know it's embarrassing but strawberry swisher sweet uh thought we were cool at 18 you know smoking that yeah um the first real cigar i smoked was probably charter oak by foundation yeah um not bad i actually had one with the other day just to kind of see what it was reminisce like. yeah it wasn't great yeah <laughs> um at the time i was like oh this is this is really good but um honestly like now this guy's smoking byron's and alfonso yeah I, and, oh i'm totally you know, spoiled now like uh foreign affairs and you know all the all, good stuff all that stuff and also just meeting brand owners too yeah I mean, the, the biggest thing with cigars is i'd smoke a cigar back in the day and I would stomp that out, like, you know, whatever. I'm like, oh, this is fun for an hour. Like, yeah. And then be done with it. But what? I'll never forget this. My first week here at ICC, I'm sitting at that back meeting room table with Brandon. And I'm smoking a Zulu, probably, because Brandon was obsessed with Zulus at the time. And I go to stomp he it out. He did have a Zulu period there where he, he legit <laughs> smoked Zulus That was all he smoked. Ever. And I go to stomp it out. And he puts his hand on my hand and goes... Well, we don't do that here. We yeah. just let the cigar die out. Just set it down when you're done. Yeah. And that's it. And I never thought about, as I was smoking cigars until I got the job here, about how, like, brand owners want, you know, the soil to be just right when they grow the plant and how every cigar is hand-rolled just perfectly and, you know, the draw test they do to make sure it's right. And, 
you know, I never thought about the history behind cigars. And that just changed my entire perspective. Yeah, I mean, I'm a little jealous because, like, you got to be here for the Luciano event, right? I w- no, I never met Luciano. Oh, you didn't? Nope. Yeah, me neither. It's twice. Every time Luciano comes here, I'm out of town. Um, mm. Or then I'm the idiot that it's like a principal event and I wear a damn Patoro shirt here. <laughs> like, I, was I just have like the worst time of that. Like, but I wear, I wear shirts and stuff of like all the things that I really appreciate. Yeah. Like if they give it to me, like Jamon, I'm still going to give you shit. Cause I gave you my address and I still don't have a DC cigar shirt. So <laughs> I doubt you're listening to this, but I am going to call you out again. I'll get you one yeah. this weekend. I'm DJing for DC this weekend, this Saturday. All right. And well, tell Jamon I want a large, I can wear large t-shirts now. I want a large DC, that badass one he had. It looks like DC, like Marvel logo almost. His branding is really good. Yeah, his branding's on point, man. And I like I like what Jamon's doing. Jamon's a really cool dude. But He's like, awesome. you know, it's... It's hard not to just support pretty much everybody at this lounge because they don't bring shitty products in here. No. I mean, yeah, there's a couple of things that, like, it's just like the liquor industry. Like, if you want this, you got to sell this. If yep. you want that, you got to sell that. You know, like, there is a little bit of that. But overall, like, there's not shitty cigars here. No. And if you're trying to go on that cigar journey... And like you, what I where I think you were kind of going with that a minute ago too is, man, you get access here at Industrial too to like, I mean like, like I just said, Luciano's been here several times in the last year, year and a half. I've been out of town or had a prior commit where I couldn't be here. I want to smoke a cigar with Luciano so bad it's not even funny. Like I love what he puts out. The Foreign Affair has like probably entered my top five now. Well, and Frank's here right now. Yeah, who's Frank's one of the owners and blenders. And that. and he's such a cool dude. Like yeah. when he when I first walked in, he acted like one of the members in the private lounge, like right out the gate. And I was just like, everybody, everybody that was back here was like, who is that dude? Mm-hmm. Like he already knows how to like how we interact back here, and yeah. he just like, but that just goes to show you what kind of people are coming in and out of the lounge and you have these owners here. Um, I mean, I could go through the list, but I mean, whether it's Patoro or principal Darren Chaffee, you all, know, all, all of these Nelson, guys, yeah. the doctor Alfonso. I mean, how many, how many lounges can you walk in and, you know, legit spend multiple days or evenings with, and like they legit will sit and smoke with you and, tell you the story of why or how they blended this and like to have that with a cigar like you know pops had a great line too is like you know this might not be the best cigar i've ever smoked but it's the best cigar i've ever smoked in this moment that's right you know and like that happens a lot that like there are a lot of good cigars out there and it's not always like is this gonna be my now my new favorite and like no but like for this moment yeah, and starting to shit out. I mean, when when Oliver told me the humidification process of Adabe and Alfonso, mm-hmm. where they boost the humidity up, lower it down, and it takes all the imperfections out of that cigar, a it's a sick process. Like, because yeah. I mean, who else? Does and Oliver's that? a with, cool cat, man. If awesome. you ain't got to sit down with Oliver, you've you got to do it. You're missing and, out. And they spend, you know, however much money they spend on the cedar wood and all that stuff. 
But the other thing is, is like when these owners talk to you, you can feel their passion behind mm-hmm. their product. And they're in it because they love what they do. And same with the Frakes family. Like, they're in it because, like, Dave and his kids shared that moment over a cigar mm-hmm. and brought it, you know, brought them together where they were that much closer. Like, it's just um, the community here that they've built is phenomenal. And, I mean... It's not like other lounges. It's not, it's, <laughs> it's not like other lounges. And... Um, you know, I've met, like, I've learned a lot from, from Busy on pr- the production side and Brandon on the marketing side. I mean, you and I have connected over music stuff and have been able to give, you know, talk to each other and help each other out. It's just like the people you meet here and are, it, it, you can learn a lot from. You know, whether I'm here another month or another 10 years, like, I've all, I'm already able to take so much away from this. Yeah. You know, where, the, the things I've learned and the people I've met just, uh, I, I, I never expected it, truly. Yeah. So. No, that's awesome, man. Yeah. Oh, man. Where do we go from here? I mean, like, you guys can ask some questions if you want. There's still quite Let's a few see. people on here. Like, you guys feel free to hammer at us if you want to throw some stuff out there. How long did it take you to grow your beard out? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, how long did it take me to grow my beard out, man? Yeah. Like, my beard, actually, everything from that I'm covering right now grows really, really fast. Really? Everything else takes a lot of time. Okay. Which is sad, because, like, my grandfather on my mom's side, dude, he had, like, Elvis Presley, like, sideburns. Oh, like, yeah. they were legit. How I did not inherit that, I don't know. Like, because you get most of your hair stuff from your mom's side, is you what do. I've been told. Yep. Like, how I did not get his, like, badass sideburns that just, like, grow in. Yeah. Beyond me, this goes really fast. Like, I just, in the last two weeks, I've shaved probably two inches off my beard. Oh, wow. Yeah, like, my wife didn't even notice for, like, a week. She's like, you cut your your beard. And I was like, yeah. She's like, you didn't go see your beard? I was like, no, I just... I just did it a little bit myself, and you okay, know. Well, well, I have a more insightful question. All right, top three guests that you would love to interview on this podcast, and along with that, like, talk about the podcast in general and what you want people to get out of it. Like, what do you ultimately? Okay. What do you ultimately want people to feel or gain from listening to your podcast? Because there are thousands of podcasts out there, and yeah, then top top three guests. Okay, I'll start with top three guests. Yeah. I said I was, you know what, it's funny you asked me this question because I said a little while ago that I was going to post this list out because I have a list. I have a list like probably 20 or 30 deep of yeah. like really gold, to me, ideal guests that yeah. I would love to have on here. I'm going to say number one is going to be Joe Rogan. Mm. Like, I would I would love to sit down with Joe Rogan and just shoot the shit. Mm-hmm. Smoke a cigar. And smoke a cigar with Drink him. Some I'll smoke a blunt with him on freaking the podcast. I don't care. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, just to have that moment with Joe Rogan. Um, my second one is going to be Aubrey Marcus. Because, man, like, the way that dude's mind works and the way he tells stories and the way he converses with people. I would love to, I would love to do ayahuasca with Mm. Marcus Aubrey. 
mm. um, and go on one of those journeys. And I've, I, you know, funny years ago, I applied to join his uh, fit for service and I did not make the cut apparently. And probably a good thing because my wife would have been like, what <laughs> the hell are you doing? Yeah. Um, but, you know, Aubrey Marcus. And then I'm going to go ahead and jump over to the music thing. Nothing more is one of my favorite favorite bands and that's what oh, okay. started the conversation with, with you nick. and me about yeah. nick there you go um those guys are so dope i saw them when i was younger when johnny hawkins was still their drummer before he mm-hmm. became their lead singer like these guys were really big in the san antonio um area and they played all over here they're really good friends with paco estrada mm-hmm. who's a big guy here in dallas he's playing a lot at like will call um, I have a lot of friends that work at Will Call, and that's a avenue so I want. That would be like a full circle moment for you. That would be like a full that. circle because, like, what he did to become the lead. Like, Chevelle's another one of my favorite bands, and so you know, good. their lead singer is like, he's claustrophobic. He's like a germaphobe, like mm-hmm. all that. And I got to meet him one night, like before a show, him and his brother, and like it was super just cool. Although they kind of shit on my dream of where I want to take the podcast just because I was like talking to them about acoustic and they're like, we're metal, bro. Like, but see, like, I know, but like, uh, so you cool, know, like, but like, but he did ask me, he was like, in all fairness, I want to, I want to fully state this. Like he was like, boy, he's like, what, what song do you want us to play? And it started off cause there's a song on point one where they do play acoustic. Like the whole song starts mm-hmm. out acoustic. He's like, I don't even have an acoustic guitar with me on this tour. Yeah. And I was like, all all right, fair enough. He's like, what other song do you want to hear? I said that. And like, dude, I was staying back. Like I got to a really good point. Like I always go find the sound booth. Yeah. Wherever the sound booth is, that's where I get as close to that as I can because that dude's hearing it the way it's supposed to be heard and really wants to hear it. I completely agree. I get as close to the sound booth as I can get. Yeah. And that's my point. So I was doing that and I, I guess he was watching me. Like no a way. little to a little bit, and like he pointed out, he's like, "I met some cool cats tonight." You know, we just had, we all had sushi at the same restaurant, didn't even know it. What? We were all standing in a window of a bike shop in Austin, and you know, like I was like, "Oh, it's Pete!" Oh and my god! I was god. like, my my roommate's like hitting me like this, you know, and I was That's like, you. "That's Pete!" Yeah, like, you're not freaking out, and I'm like, "Uh, uh, uh," you know, like for a minute, and I was just like, "What's up, bro?" And I fist bumped him. He was like respect because you yeah. know he's a germaphobe like yeah. he does not shake hands and you knew that you were but i knew that yeah. about him and so like we we did that whole thing and we were talking and he was like and i forget what song i even asked him to play but he played and he's like this is for the dudes that i met tonight blah, blah 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 let's do it i ain't playing acoustic but let's rock and he what? just jammed it out and i was like that was dope as shit like yeah. me and him both knew that like he was talking about like what we asked him oh man and like that was cool but johnny hawkins and those guys what nothing more is transcended into like this guy had like stage right into it it's like took vocal lessons and like they should have won a grammy like Mm. years ago yeah when um now ghost is like when go to war came out like when go to war came out they got nominated for best rock performance Mm mm-hmm they lost to a dude that died that year. Like, <laughs> not to shit on somebody that died, but, like, you didn't win that legit. 
you lost it because you they lost because that dude died. Yeah. yeah. Like so like I was super disappointed about that, but like those guys and Mark, their guitarists, like they've been super cool. Like I've gone to like so many of their shows. I go to all their meet and greets and they, they've been super nice. Like they sit and talk like I want to still I want to sit and chill with Johnny and like do this and yeah. like and have the live show like as far as when I add the music thing like right now nothing more is my like top band top band I want to get in I want them to play acoustic I want everybody to hear how phenomenal Johnny's voice is like when it's just broken down and raw and like how good the band is like if, if anyone's together. if anyone's watching in the comments put some bands that uh garrett should book yeah acoustic. yeah y'all want to put some bands yeah. in there like what are what are bands that the audience would like to see live too yeah i'd be curious all right so your first question was three so that was three yeah and then and i want to know out of every because this is what i ask bands too when bands yeah. would come to me to manage them i would go i think you're good what makes you stand out from every other band that wants to make it in this industry? Yeah, so what makes it stand out from every other podcast? Yeah. I like to think that we have genuine conversations to mm -hmm. where, like, I don't feel like I would have had half the guests on here that if they felt like I was trying to be, like, TMZ and have news breaking, ask them certain questions. Like, you and I had a very brief conversation before we went on here. Absolutely. Because we've talked a lot yeah but there's certain things we've never like Dived really into. dove into and it was just kind of like a mutual research like hey bro like no i'm not gonna ask you any of that stuff like yeah. i'm not gonna ask you to tell me about xyz yeah or ask you this question that's gonna make you uncomfortable or for you to have to sit here and that's say true. i'm not gonna talk about that or i don't yeah. want to answer that like i want people to see that just taking the moment yeah, Brian, I know you want to see Taylor Swift. I, <laughs> I, I'm down to do that. Like, okay, Taylor dude. Swift, you know, like, I feel the same way about Post Malone. Like, I, I want Post Malone on here, like, really bad. Like That would be awesome. Post Malone doing an acoustic set, like, cool. He's got a good voice. I like, know, I man. Like, He's really good. And he does that stuff raw, like, during COVID. Dude, Nelly, acoustic. Did, Cool. Like, yeah, that'd be sick. And like, but like Post Malone, he did that thing like where they all dressed up like Nirvana in the drug days. Yeah. Like the hardcore days and him and like Travis Barker, I think, and like Dave Navarro. And they just like, they played like live on a streaming thing, like mm -hmm. on Twitch or something for like two hours during COVID and just post set and drank Bud Light and smoked cigars or yeah. cigarettes. Like, yeah. And just, they jammed out, like, Nirvana acoustic. Like, that was so badass. Like, it's really cool. You know, so any of those things, man. Like I, like I said, I'm going to shoot for the moon. But as far as podcasts goes, like, I want people to know that they can tune in and that they're going to get a live, real conversation where it's going to be like us sitting down, just like, you know, we've been the best of friends. Or, yeah. you know, even with some of these people that, like, I may not know very well. And, like, learn what it is that made them great, mm -hmm. what roadblocks did they hit, what failures, so other people can learn those life lessons with hopefully not having to go through that. You know, like, mm -hmm. when my dad died, you know, I have a brother that's two and a half years younger than me. There's certain things that all of a sudden I felt like, and maybe this is wrong, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not saying this is right yeah. or wrong, it's just your experience. but there's all certain things where... 
he went through life lessons that I know I went through. And when your dad tells you, you don't really want to listen to that. It's no, like, you don't, you know, you, you want to, you want to disregard that a little bit. Like there's certain lessons you have to learn in life on your own. And there's others like you really would like to be able to share. And you're only telling them out of love so that hopefully they don't have to go through that and experience that right. in the hard way. Mm -hmm. Even though there are some lessons you just have to do that. Like yeah. no question. Like people can tell you all they want to. And, you know, you just you have to learn it on your own. Yeah. But my goal with like most of the podcast was to be able to sit back, let people know that like sitting down and sharing a cigar, some spirits and just having a genuine conversation, putting yourself out there, opening yourself up and having a genuine conversation with somebody and learning from that experience. Yeah. You know, and if you can, if I can combine that in a unique enough way that where people feel like this isn't just like another interview, you know, like when I've had athletes on and stuff, Yes, I have to obviously introduce them and talk about their career and give enough of a introduction. It's an introduction, yeah. Yeah, it's more just an introduction. So that for those that don't know, you know, like yeah. a Super Bowl winning, Pro Bowl player, blah, 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 went to this college. But I don't sit and just ask them about their career. That's right. On a, like, statistical type basis, you know, like... I want to know, tell us about the great men that coached you. I love that. You know, like, let's talk about the life lessons that not only applied to football or baseball or basketball or whatever sport, but let, let's talk about those life lessons you learned that you still use in your life today. Yeah. Like, those are the conversations I want to have with them. Like, the deep conversations we have out of nowhere when we're just sitting back here smoking a cigar and That's it. you don't even know. Like, you know, like when I sit down with Frank, you know, I had no idea who the dude was. Yeah. And we just sat and talked for a little bit. And this dude caddies for Michael Jordan. Yeah. He's an owner of foreign affairs, does stuff with Luciano. Like, dude is a super genuine, nice dude. So like, nice. But you just have those conversations because you put yourself out there to do and, that. And I just want to say, too, for, for people watching or, or listening, I actually said to you before the podcast, like, hey, you want to sit down and go over topics? And you were like, I just roll with it, man. Like we just have a conversation and yeah. you know, I, I said to you too, like just cause I, I haven't done many podcasts or interviews, but yeah, whenever people ask me about, about music, the first question is usually like, so who was the hardest artist to work for? And what did I tell you? I'm like, yeah. Hey, don't ask that question. And you're like, I would never ask that dude. And I'm like, really? I didn't think you would, but like, but like people, Why? people just, they want they want to know these things, and you're they just they want like, to know the bad shit. They yeah. want to, you know that's what it's the like, world thrives on. It's like on. They, people want to know things to feel like they have a piece of information that nobody else has. You know what I mean? Like they want the inside scoop on things. And what I like about your podcast is like, like you said, you're just having a conversation, not an interview, a conversation with people yeah. about who they are and. And that's, that's why I asked you what were some of the more fulfilling moments because the world always wants to know the bad and the negative, but we right. kind of, we contrast. I love that. So, you know, it's the point in fact of, it's not really what was the worst. I just want to know what was your biggest challenge? How did you overcome it? Mm -hmm. And then what was the fulfillment you got from that moment or just period? Because we can have moments here now and our fulfillment may not happen for another two or three months. Absolutely. When Garrett had just this idea where we got it, 
and we were kind of rolling and getting it going. And then he bumped his head on the toilet like Doc Brown in Back to the Future and said, shit, I want to do live music, MTV Unplugged, this, that, because that is essentially where his heart, in just listening to you talking, that's where he comes from. Yeah. And so it takes, uh, life kind of takes paths and nobody kind of, exp- there's only a certain few things in life where you set on this path and it's going to go there. For the rest of us human beings, your talents, your skills, your evolution kind of mm-hmm. guides you back, but you do end up going back to where your heart came from. Mm-hmm. You know, I've always had a camera, I've always DJed, and no matter what other odd jobs I've done in my life, I still end up with a camera in my hand or playing music for mm-hmm. somebody. You yep. guys all started doing music earlier on, and a lot of things you've gone in between, but look at your paths, they're still coming back to where you originally started. Absolutely. Yeah, and don't you think, too, that anything fulfilling in life whether it's having a camera in your hand or music or whatever you do any level of fulfillment previously has levels of discomfort oh yeah hardships like indecision struggle, indecision Man, like, f this i'm out i don't exactly. want to do this because the problem i have with it is i see so many people successful around me especially being here this mm-hmm. is a very affluent place and you're like well, at my age, damn, how come I'm not further? How come I'm not this? How come I'm not that? But somebody told me something. It was a guy that I met at another cigar spot out smoking last summer, actually. He's, uh, he was the lead simmer, singer of a popular R&B group called Portrait. Okay. And I was like, damn, he's sitting right here. He lives here. He said, yeah, I can go here between L.A. And we were talking about what we do and whatever. And we had that conversation about success and things. And he said something to me that just makes sense. I'm still trying to figure it out. But he says, you may master what you do. Now, your next step is to master the business mm. of what you do. That's good. I may do pictures and video and all that stuff. Now, how does that make you a millionaire? It's the business that comes behind it. Yeah. And I've learned on my own, it's really problem solving. It's just like when I talked about the cigar industry as a whole. Yeah. And again, I'm not <clears throat> calling out anybody in particular. It's really just the industry as a whole. Busy, I look at what you and I do. And I mean, again, I've learned a lot from you. You and I could do things in a way where, you know, we, we build this up and do things differently. And, you well, know, that's the thing, the challenge that me and Brandon talked about, and then you came on board and literally underlined it and highlighted it with a yellow marker. Mm-hmm. The industry of cigars is an age old thing. It's yeah, a it bunch is. of old guys. When I went to Miami and worked with a different cigar brand and I seen just these big old guys smoking huge ring gauge cigars. Yeah. That's what everybody thinks. Mm-hmm. They think it's Arnold Schwarzenegger oh, it's running around did or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Thank you, Donna. But it's not that anymore. And those guys are phasing out because, you know, no offense, but they're dying. Yeah. And now that they're, I call this the renaissance of cigars. It is. But with the renaissance of it and new people, you still need to respect what it is. Just like you said, you learn that you don't stomp out a cigar, Mm -hmm. you let it burn out. So how do we teach? How do we market? How do we bring it into a new generations of cigar smokers without destroying what it is, but teaching them the respect of it, but you'd have to just make it appealing for a new audience. Exactly. And the old heads don't want to accept it, but if you want to be in this industry, you're going to have to move with the wave or get washed out by somebody that does get it. That's so true. It's so true. Yeah. It's really good stuff. I mean, there's lots of things that tie into that, but um Man, I'm kind of like lost for words at the moment. Like that got deep at the end. What? That never happened. Yeah. That was good. You? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, you know, that this all started from, you know, trying to do this. And like, we're all still trying to figure this thing out. But 
what I have learned, and you know, it's it's funny because when you asked me that tonight and you were like, yo, do you want to sit down and talk for a little bit before we do this? Like, not really, because yeah. when I started out doing this, man, I did so much research on every guest that I had on. I made sure that like, if they'd wrote a book, I read the book. Mm -hmm. If they did X, Y, Z, I made sure I was up to date on that. You know, I had... But that's, I asked you that because that's how most people do it. Yeah. You're an anomaly in the podcast. Well, thank you. I I take that as a huge compliment because... Yeah, you're doing a great job. I, I don't, I don't want, if I come in here with a set agenda... Then you get to moments where, like, we don't have anything to talk about. Or what if you jump ahead of me and I had this great question prepared, but you kind of answer it early three on. Steps ahead. Yeah. Now, now you just took away, you know, this happened with a guest early on. He had this great story, and I was trying to build up to this, and I was, like, not going to ask him that question until we were, like, an hour in. Mm -hmm. He dropped that in the first 15 minutes of the show. Man. And told the story in like five minutes, and it was just like, uh, uh well, now what do I talk like, about? <laughs> what do I do exactly. now? You know, like, how do I rebound from this? So, like, I don't want to have those moments anymore. And because I've learned to sit and really listen, and what are you giving me? You know, like, well, where does our conversation go? Because you end up, you end up asking me great questions. Mm -hmm. You, you know, well, as well. There's, there's a there's a lesson. Forth. For, there's a lesson for people out there where if you just sh shut your mouth, all, all of us, I'm not talking about anybody in particular, and listen, you learn. Again, just like I watch people who did Message. things wrong. Yeah. You learn so much from people if you just close your mouth and listen. When me and Garrett first started, and that was one of the things, the feedback I gave him, yeah. I said, you know what? Absolutely. Let the guests talk. Let, let, let them figure out what it is because we're always going to be here. We only got you for a couple hours. Because I tried to be the interviewer. Like, yeah. I just sat down like, all right, I've got all these great questions. I had a list where I had questions, and I could just take you to those questions. Mm -hmm. Well, that didn't flow real great, like always. Mm -hmm. It didn't. Conversation over interview. Yeah, yeah, just let's sit here and act like. This doesn't exist. No. It's what? you and I sitting it's in the lounge. That's it. And let's just talk. LeBron and James did it the best when he did it, even though I'm not a big... I'm, okay, yes, world. I don't give a shit about LeBron James. <laughs> not a LeBron James fan, whatever. But I respect his hustle and everything he does in you the world of to. medium business because when he did the barbershop, that was it. If yeah. you've never been to a black barbershop and sat in there and you will hear everything from politics to religion, to parenting, to mm. all that stuff, because you have from three years old all the way up to 83 years old sitting in that barbershop waiting their turn to get a haircut, and the conversations that happen in there, people literally would go to barbershops not even to get the haircut, but just to get the, the knowledge. Scoop. It's like a cigar lounge, yeah. literally. Yeah. So when he made a, a television Why show. Why barbershops are not like that, Biz? I'm just not saying, at all. You know, no, they're, they're not. not. They're not. You guys, <laughs> you guys go to Great Clips, get your hair cut, and get the hell on. No. Whoa, I do not go you to, don't great go to great clips. clips. Okay, good. Then I got more respect for you than I had before. Good. Yeah. But no, it's because it, a, a, a black barbershop is literally like a three-hour wait. 
It, it takes 45 minutes to cut my hair, so imagine there's six dudes in front of you. But it's just, the, it is the camaraderie, it is the fellowship, mm. and what you learn, and he turned that into a TV show, and he invited so many different people from so many walks of life, and the conversation was free-flowing, there was no restrictions, there's no nothing. You learn so much more, not just about that person, but just like tonight, the topic of managing artists. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't even, wasn't even going to interject. You know, I managed N1 for yeah. three years, and that was... Literally hurting cats, babysitting terrible two-year-olds, and they all came in the form of grown men. It's amazing, too. Yeah. It was you've, horrible. You've had music experience. Pops, you know, managed a record label. Yes. Like, it's crazy how everybody just has these different paths in life. But, but look where but, you are now, but, though. But look where you are now. And I think you said it best where it's almost like life puts these, like, if you think of a bowling alley and the bumpers are up. And the ball wants to go this way and hits the bumper and goes back that way. And then it's like, yeah. but it guides you towards the end. You know what I mean? As long as you stay open to it. Yeah, like, and you exactly. can't look at every little failure as a setback. If you look at it as a lesson, well, you know, well, like I heard something recently on a podcast or an audio book where the guy said, you know, school <clears throat> teaches you all backwards. You, you learn the lesson and then you take the test. Mm, yeah. Well, that's so true, though. It's backwards in life, though. In life, you take the test, and once you t you've passed or failed the test, then you learn the lesson. There's a book that I tell everybody that they should read. It's a quick read. It's not that bad. It's called The Alchemist uh, by Paul pa Paulo Calejo, some of that, but just The Alchemist. And basically, it's kind of old school, but it's very readable. But it's basically about taking windows of opportunity and not being afraid to walk through them. Yeah. You, you'll, you'll, you'll have a window in front of you and you'll make up every excuse not to walk through it to stay in your level of comfort versus missing what may be on the other side. And that's what the book is about. It's in, yeah. in its form. But I think if people take more risk or leaps of faith, you'll find out that your life is meant to be a lot more than what you're settling for. Mm -hmm. If you quit letting yeah. life happen to you and actually do something to it, well, you got to live by like a code and you kind of, you got to live by a code and you kind of have to, you have to consistently be habitual about doing certain things, whether it's your health and your fitness or it's putting yourself out there, taking on risks and challenges. I mean, I know this shit drives my wife nuts because my wife would rather things be very structured and whatnot. And I am the farthest thing from that. Like, but you make it there, you get there, but. Yeah, but I mean, it like, and it, and it is, and it's always, and that's that's a balance for us that we have to find and mm -hmm. to do those things because I am like that. Like, I I have to push. I have to, I have to, I have to try to do more. Like, you know, my little brother acknowledged that recently. He was like, man, like, the tenacity that you go at things at, like, inspires him. And I'm like, well, shit, man. Like, the simplicity that you're able to live your life inspires me like Absolutely. i wish i could strip my life that down more and be that happy yeah but to him that that's that's his that's his comfort zone but that's what makes I, him i think and and brandon and i and i think biz we've talked about this a lot is defining what success means to you that's hard for me. That's, that's super tough. hard. That's right? hard that's, for me. But like, but Biz, you Thank know, God you, you and I, you and I actually like, we, you know, took a drive in your truck and got to connect a couple yeah. weeks ago. Yeah. And when I pull up in front of your house, you have a beautiful home. You've got great kids, a family. You want them? And 
<laughs> Sorry, I'll take Oliver. <laughs> see the and, uh, I'll take but, Oliver. But no, when I when I see what you have, I'm like, like to me right now in, in this moment, like that's success. Like I want my own house. Like I'm renting right now. I want a house. I want a family. I want kids. And like, and see you saying just, that makes me be like, why am I not thankful for what I have? And I'm mm-hmm. always trying to get something else somebody just, else has. Dude, like that's different. something I want to hit on for a second. I know yeah. we're running over, but we started late, so I don't feel bad right now. Yeah. But that's something I have to do. It's like, it's so hard, like working on gratitude. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I seriously That's it like right there. I I try so hard lately and like even when like because everybody still has problem like I don't care how successful you are how good the money is how good X Y Z is like at some point you're still gonna have a fight or a battle about that Always. whether that's with your significant other that's you internally that's you personally you on a business level some somehow some way like. You, when you get to the next level, other shit's going to try to bring you back down and be like, oh, no, you should still be comfortable without down here. And, like, always pushing to, you know, not just accept mediocrity or where you want to be and still feel confident and comfortable trying to get to that next thing for whatever reason. Like, mm-hmm. because it makes you happier, because it makes you more money, because it... Whatever your reason is, you, you still have to battle those things. But there's a lot of dark times in there, too. And when that's battling you to try and be like, oh, life's going to try to bring you back down here a little bit or knock you off your pedestal a little bit or bring you back down here, humble you a little bit to still find gratitude for what you do have and have things. And my wife has brought that back to me a lot in a lot of instances because you know I spend a lot of time just on my back patio and I just have to sit back relax listen to the water you know and chill smoke my cigar and go yeah you want my house I want his like (laughs) I I have so much to be thankful for but then I get I get riled up or disturbed because why didn't I already feel grateful like, why didn't I already have some gratitude? Like, why is gratitude so hard at times? Like, that's something I personally battle with. But, but didn't times. you just say that you always are striving for more, though? Like, yeah. Always, so, and it's tough. But I, what is more? I don't know. And like, even if you yeah. ask me, I can't I don't tell know. you. Yeah. I, and it's I, just I always have this uneasiness. This and I like, think the three of us sitting in this room can relate to that. Because, you know, I think... Like, Biz has a level of success that I'm striving for, and you have a level of success that he's striving for. And it's like, I'm sure you can walk out there, and there's people out there that you're striving for their level of success. So it's like, it's like... And there's things that each, that all three of us are sitting here having this conversation, and there's things that we're all jealous or envious of because one is doing better than the other at one said thing but yet we're all still friends and we're all still, you know, making it work, but there's still these moments and there's still these, you know, like we're all still learning from each other too. And I think if we keep it in that perspective, then that kind of is a checks and balances of like, 
okay, he may, into our eye, you may be doing X right now better than I'm doing, but I don't know what struggles you're having right now too. And you're feeling like you're failing at these 10 things, Mm -hmm. but I'm looking at this one thing that whether it's social media, you know, being around you or whatever that I feel like you're doing better. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're, we're all judging each other on these things in life on a day by day, minute by minute basis. And until you can get out of that a little bit and just be more content, like that's what I'm working on because it's so hard when you have goals and you have these things to, to keep that all in check. And I think that's, that's what every human, that's what every one of us struggles with constantly is like, cause there are checks and balances, but your checks and balances need to be your own checks and balances, not, not what somebody else has or is doing. And or that's life, super hard. What expectations life puts on you too, you know? Yeah, there's I mean, all of that. Yeah. Well, fellas, I am getting several phone calls. We need to yeah. go ahead and yeah, go to that, to to that wrap. last question. We'll wrap. But, all right. I only have one question for you, and we'll wrap this. We can do another one sometime. Let's do it. All right. You get to give. It's called common sense. So now it's time, even though you've dropped a lot of knowledge tonight that I feel like a lot of people can really, you know, learn and use, give us your two cents. And it can be your two cents about anything, something weighing on you, something you just, because of the show, not because of the show, just give everybody your two cents. And it can be about whatever the hell you want it to be I'm going to go with the theme of what we ended on. That's gratitude. Be thankful for what you have. Take a few minutes each day to weigh out the positives in your life because I don't think we do that, do that enough. Yeah. We focus on what we want. Take a few minutes in your day. Think about what you have, your health, family, the car you're driving, whatever it is, food that you can eat, eat each day. Focus on what you have. Be grateful for it. Call your family while you can and um, love on your dog, whatever it is. Like, the little, the little things that make you happy, that bring you happiness in this moment of your life, be grateful for it. Absolutely, man. Yep. Hey, man. Thank you so much Absolutely. for being on the show, man. I've really enjoyed me. sitting down here with you and doing this tonight. Yeah. Tune in next week, and we'll be ready to rock. I hope you guys enjoyed the show, and all of y'all have a safe, wonderful, happy week. Peace. Peace. Peace.